Good morning. Hope you're doing well today, and we're getting into this exciting topic. Um, at least for me, it was exciting. <laughs> the Lord has been teaching me a lot, and um, I had an opportunity to, to, to sit in some lectures uh, on this topic, and um, it just grasped my interest so much. Um, I watched documentaries, and I'll, I'll make reference of some of these to you here. Um, so our topic today is Autism Spectrum Disorder. Um, I'm just going to say that from the outset. Um, I think this is a real condition. I don't think it should be in the, the DSM, um, or should be the only one in the DSM, because I truly believe, yeah, this is, is something related to our brain, to something physical. Um, there's no moral... Um, you read the descriptions, as we're going to read it here, there's no moral um, attachment to those things. Like when you, re you read the diagnosis for bipolar disorder, um, you would have descriptions of thoughts of grandiosity. What is that? that that's pride. <laughs> you know, um, alcoholism. What is that? that? That is being a drunk described in the Bible. Well, God calls each of... You know these things. He has a, a label, um, and it, it, this is something different. You know, someone can see a, a medical doctor, and they can find uh, correlations, as we're going to see here. All right. So let's pray to the Lord that it will be a helpful discussion uh, for those of you that are wondering about uh, ADHD. We're going to have a totally different talk on that. So don't fret, and so maybe save some of your questions <laughs> on this area for the next lecture. So, all right, let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for this morning, for your beautiful creation, for your care over us. Lord, um, we're so thankful that we can cast our cares on our precious Lord and Savior. Pray, Father, that as we uh, reflect on these things, we think about how you created everyone in your image, and that we do not look at people according to the flesh anymore. We look at them according to Christ and how he redeemed us. I pray, Father, that you would encourage my brothers and sisters today, uh, help us as a church to be loving toward those that you have created in your image. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. As a way of introduction here, I have some statistics that I got from um, the Autism Statistics and Facts from Autism Speaks. It's a known website where they have, it's kind of like the hub for autistic information. And in 2023, um, I think I referenced to you a few weeks ago that the, st the statistic was, I think, 1 in 250 when the documentary came out in 2010. And then um, just, I'm gonna say three years ago, this was one for 44, and now it's one through 36 children in the US is diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. Now, um, this is an interesting fact. I, I know how to read it. Is this because we have more people with autism today or because there are more people being diagnosed that haven't been previously diagnosed. Uh, is that because um, now there is an inclusion of ADHD as part of the of, of this pool? Um, so something to think about. Um, that you know now they have the the spectrum because there is a variety of people with different uh, uh, levels. Some of 31% uh, of the children with ASD have a intellectual disability. Uh, an IQ with less than 70, 25% are borderline range, 71 to 8, 85%, but the majority of them has an IQ above, way above 85%. So they are incredibly smart kids, actually. 15% of the cases of autism syndrome disorder appears to be associated with non-genetic mutation. And I got this, this is the interesting part. Got this from DSM. And they say, oh, no, there's no medical nothing behind this. And yet they're saying, well, 50% is associated with genetic mutation, Rett syndrome, fragile X syndrome, Down syndrome. 30% uh, 
are 33% is associated with medical conditions known as such as epilepsy. Others might be associated with a history of environmental exposure to certain substances from the mother or even through their development, such as valparate, um, others with alcohol, the fetal, fetal alcohol syndrome, or if they have very low birth weight. And there are some unknown neurodevelopment, developmental uh, problems. Most children were still being diagnosed after the age of four, and though autism can be reliably diagnosed as early as the age two. Now, I think why I'm bringing this up, most churches feel ill-equipped uh, to interact with autism children and their families. And I think if we, if we truly believe that every human being is made in the image of God with the capacity to reflect Christ's character, that we should love those who God made and stop the stigmas. You know, I think there's just that fear of, I don't want my child to be labeled or be diagnosed with this. Um, that's the uniqueness of how God created us. I, I took this from uh, Steve Byers when he gave a lecture on his you know, special needs, and he has a special needs child. He said, you know, we should, uh, what is the number one question when you talk to those who are expecting? And I don't, I don't want you to be offended by this, but normally we hear the question, what is the, what is the number one response to this question? What would you like, a boy or a girl? And what does people say? Well, as long as they come healthy, whatever the Lord sends. So I think this kind of answer, I mean, just someone with a special needs child, hear that. <laughs> it's like, no. If you're saying whatever the Lord sends, is whatever the Lord sends. And, and they will have their strengths and their weaknesses, like all of us. So we're going to get more into the detail here. But I want to reach you the, the criteria for DSM. Um, I actually copied just the major ones, and then I put a little chart there um, with early signs. So the major thing is uh, persistent deficits in social communication and social interaction across multiple contexts, as manifested by the following, currently or history. So number one, deficits in social and emotional reciprocity. Reprocity. Uh, ranging, for example, from abnormal social approach and failure to normal back and forth conversation, to a reduced sharing of interests, emotions, effect, to a failure to initiate and respond to social interactions. Now, there is a neural development problem that the brain connections are not properly functioning, and so communicate the way that someone captures things and the way they uh, respond back will be very different than the typical children. Deficits in nonverbal communicative behaviors for social interaction, ranging from, for example, from poorly integrated verbal or nonverbal communications to abilities in eye contact, body language, and deficits in understanding the use of gestures to a total lack of facial expressions or nonverbal communication. Some children are very extreme to the point that they can't communicate verbally. Um, if you watch the documentary that I, I, I posted there, you will see that even those children that are nonverbal, they're able to communicate. You know, some different scholars found way of that they can write or type what they're thinking, and it's incredible when you see them um, being able to express themselves uh, through different means. I remember this one um, mother hearing her son talk, I think he's like 12 years old, for the first time, not to speak, but to tell what he was thinking. And she just, you know, started cheering up. So, warning, if you watch that documentary, you're gonna <laughs> pick up some Kleenex. You're gonna need it. So, deficits in nonverbal communicative behaviors used in social interaction ranging from, I already read this one there, but deficits in developing, maintaining, and understanding relationships ranging from, for example, Difficulties adjusting behavior to suit various social contexts. Difficulties in sharing imaginative, imaginative play or making friends or to absence of interest in peers. Um, and then the major category there of 
Symptoms would be restricted and repetitive patterns of behaviors, interests, and activities as manifested by at least two of the following currently or by history. And, and here they are. Stereotyped, stereotyped or repetitive motor movements, use of objects or speech, simple motor stereotypes, lining up toys or flipping objects, echocalia, um, idiosyncratic phrases. They, you know, sometimes they'll have their own language, they'll speak. Um, insistence on sameness, inflexible adherence to routines or ritualized patterns and verbal or nonverbal behavior, extreme distress at small changes, difficulties with transitions, rigid thinking patterns, reading rituals, need to take some uh, route or eat food every day the same way they have always done. And, and the main reason for that is um, somehow they have accentuated uh, senses. So their sense of hearing is heightened and so uh, the slightest thing it will, will, it will startle them. Or uh, visual stimulation is too overwhelming for them. And so anything that is different, um, and you know, the way our brains work, is, it's totally different. So um, for certain situations for them, that is overwhelming because they're new, we can't cope with this. Um, so they like sameness and patterns and things to be um, a certain way that is comforting to them. This is known to me, I'm comfortable. Highly restricted, fixated interests. Um, they're ab abnormal in intensity or focus. Strong attachment to and preoccupation with unusual objects. Excessively circumscribed and preservative interests. They're um, fixated in certain things. And we're going to see that this can actually be a blessing for certain people that they um, think and operate that way. Hyper or hyper reactivity to sensory input. That's what I was talking about. An unusual interest in sensory aspects of the environment. Apparently, um, indifference to pain and temperature. Adverse response to specific sounds and textures. Uh, excessive smelling or touching of objects, visual fascination with lights and movement. I remember Dr. Daniel Berger um, saying that you know he, his church has this uh, a special program to uh, be an encouragement to families. And he said that this one kid, I just loved his beard. He was just like get there and be you know feeling it and yeah. So he he would be careful and you know, people thinking. <laughs> something else, looking outside, but it's just, there's just certain things that fascinates them that are sensory. Um, so autism is thought of as a developmental disorder and is usually diagnosed by the observations of a pediatrician, pediatrician neurologist, neuropsychologist, or a psychiatrist. Persons' behavior and cognition are evaluated based on the norms of their developmental level and age. And once diagnosed, behavioral therapy speech, such as speech therapies, sometimes medication are utilized. But psychological community believes that there is no cure for autism. Current experiments are attempting to detect future risk of developing autism as early as three months old by evaluating an infant's eye contact with others. Early identification of autism enables the parents to obtain supportive counsel and help them to train their autistic children in the areas of weaknesses. Now, why, you know, you ask me, should I go and, you know, test? Um, I, I believe so. You know, there is, we think about, uh, this is the one area I would say you can benefit from a behavior uh, therapy, and I'm not saying um, that is going to address the heart, it's just training patterns. You know, someone that have difficulties with motor skills, you can, um, have a physical therapist to help them to do that, or a speech therapist that could help them to articulate words for those in difficulty. So it, it's more a way of not dealing with the heart, and it's not talking about counseling here, but was just teaching people to, to get patterns, right? In the same way that parents that teach their typical children, they'll have <clears throat> a form of training for them, at repetition, right? You keep repeating the word until they get it. It's the same thing with autistic kids. It's just a different type of training. Does that make sense? All right. I just wanted to clear there on this. 
Uh, it is helpful to think of this spectrum with two extreme points and all sorts of in the between levels of behaviors and thinking. On one hand of the spectrum are those who function fairly well and they're labeled high skilled, highly skilled, and those who require less support from the parents or caregivers. Many of the persons who fit this description were previously being labeled with Asperger's syndrome. Um, now, just a little bit of background on this. Um, the DSM-5 now has only one category, it's autism, autism spectrum disorder, where they see you know, the two extremes and everything in between. Previously, they had three types. The one was you know, typical autism, and it's the children that you look at them, you won't see any features physically of mental retardation or anything. They're just this, they're actually beautiful children, and, but they have this angelic uh, way about them. Um, and those will be typical uh, um, autism. And then you have Asperger's syndrome that is more on the social level, um, the interacting with others, um, not picking up on social cues. And then they had what was the, I think I put here in a footnote for you, an observation, let's see if I can find it. The other one was pervasive develop developmental disorder, PDD. And that is basically the same thing as autism, it's just those that were more known to have um, some sort of uh, clearly difficulty related to a medical condition. So you would look at them, you would know, uh, you know, you, you recognize a child with fetal alcohol syndrome, like the face features, you recognize uh, a Down syndrome child. So that would be what they used to call the PDD. Now, they grouped all of this together because, um, and I think that's the beauty of our brains, is that God made us with a plastic brain. That is to, to say, it, it is a brain that adapts, that can grow, right? And so, to say, oh, this person is on the high end, actually, it's very fluid. People can move from one end to another, um, you know, depending on treatment that they got, uh, therapies, uh, speech therapies, and all those things. Um, so many persons who fit this description were previously being labeled Asperger's syndrome. Um, interesting backstory here. Um, Asperger actually is the name of a, a Nazi German uh, scientist. And so because they did not want to have the association with that, it's a guy that you know dealt with eugenics. I'm pretty sure that's the reason why they're shying away from that name, um, to just call everything autism. So persons on this end of the spectrum have a variety of difficulties primarily found in social verbal forms of communication and impromptu interactions with others. Uh, being misunderstood and misunderstanding others are common struggles for autistic person on this end of the spectrum. Many struggle with eye contact, especially with strangers, and might be misunderstood by an observer, um, be lacking self-confidence or, or be hurting or bitter. They, they just see them quiet and they, they'll think something else. They may be thought as being disrespectful to the other person with whom the eye contact is lacking. It's nothing to do with, <laughs> with that, but this is how sometimes they are misinterpreted. What are social skills that some people on this end of the spectrum find challenging? I aptly identifying the body language or the tone of voice of a person who they do not know well. The autistic person may misinterpret those cues and ignore them altogether. Sometimes words you remember um, the words of a stranger says are taken, li are taken literally when a satirical or sarcastic tone of voice would su suggest otherwise. They think it's very literally um, sarcasm and this kind of thing. It, it is hard because, again, they understand things as they are. Um, meanwhile, the autistic person is a little slower to comprehend the intended message and in some cases fail to comprehend it all. I think. All of us, to some degree, have that. Um, I, I remember being in college, a uh, super smart professor. Um, he would tell a joke, and I didn't understand it. I would just laugh at it because I didn't want to you know, seem ridiculous in front of others that I didn't understand the joke. But half an hour later, I'm going back home, and I'm sitting in the bus, and all of a sudden, I burst into laughter. I'm like, I got it. That was hilarious. But it, it, I think all of us sometimes even have that. It's not, um, 
any deficiency or anything. So they might need interpretive help in understanding what others have intended by what they said. And again, misunderstanding others and being misunderstood are broad descriptions of social challenges of autism. Other difficulties for the autistic person on this end of the spectrum, of course, when schedules and routines change. Um, moving to a new address, um, going to a different school, it's very overwhelming. So repetition is important to many on the autism spectrum. Another challenge is the many, is a sensory overload. <clears throat> uh, the biblical counselor and physician Pam, uh, Pam Gagnon, and she has a, an autistic child, um, gives an enlightening example. Pam described how an autistic person who puts on a jacket feels it the entire time they wear it. You know, we put, a, we put it on a piece of cloth, we feel it when we put it on, but we forget about it. For an autistic person, because their soul, their senses are so heightened, it, they feel like all the time, it's like it, it, it gives them anxiety. Um, in other words, the jacket becomes part of an autistic, um, the non-autistic person, whereas it feels like a never-ending additional lightweight on the autistic person. So regarding sensory overload, fabrics that the autistic person doesn't like or feel or strong smells, whether pleasant or not, might be overwhelming and unbearable. Tasting and hearing can be more sensitive. Loud sounds are not easily ignored, nor are background noises during conversation. So visual acuity can be much more intense. The autistic person, especially a child, can become exhausted after a few hours being highly stimulated or brand new environment. Some have described it as having a lack of uh, filters so that every stimulus is taken all at once. Because we do, we do kind of silence things out when we are here. You know, if I'm, I'm looking ahead of me, I know I'm aware of your presence here on the sides, but I'm not uh, overwhelmed by, by that. You know, so I can focus on one thing at a time. All right, now let's get to the good part. What is a biblical understanding of autism? What does the Bible help us to, to look at what the world describes as a disorder? Well, first of all, is that we are all created in God's image and equal and have equal human dignity, according to Genesis 1.27 and 5.1. So um, we're all created in God's image, and I want you to pay attention. You know, God doesn't have a, a category in the Bible for children with special needs. It, it doesn't describe it. And because they're all valuable to him, he didn't see a need to make such a distinction in his word. So the ASD, the Autism Spectrum Disorder, is a psychological label that focuses primarily upon the developmental challenges rather than the strengths of the person with the label. That is not meant as a criticism, it's simply a fact. That Hope you will help um, those who bear the label of autism. When you do serve them, remember that our mission, your mission, is to offer the compassion of Christ and grace-filled tools for change that are consistent with the Word of God in a context that the autistic person can best receive and understand. The label of autism does not ha have to be overwhelming. Um, if you remember that you are serving someone with, that has strengths and weaknesses, and most importantly, they bear the image of God. Even the most severe cases of autism have many things to, to point back to God's character. For example, and this is uh, Mark Shaw's, um, he wrote this article for the Biblical Counseling Coalition, so if you are curious to, to read the whole thing, but I'm quoting most of it here. Um, for example, you know, people, even on the more severe side of things, um, you probably will, I never watched this movie, The Rain Man, anyone? But it, it described, so these persons are, they, who use the repetitive behaviors to function have recurring difficulty relating peacefully with others and experiencing significant impairment in making, keeping friends because of the multitude of misunderstandings and being misunderstood. But then, um, there are many people who are labeled with autistic who possess well above average strengths. The world should not define them by their perceived deficits because 
They have so many giftings and strengths. Aren't we glad that the Bible teaches um, the eternal worth and dignity of all human, regardless of their functions or their contributions to society? Being made in the image of God gives every human being value and purpose, regardless of what is considered typical or non-typical functioning. Each severely challenged autistic person is an image bearer of God and has a purpose ordained by him. Letter B, God sovereignly orchestrates one's development. Um, let Open your Bible to Psalm 139. David is, is talking about how the Lord knows him so well and so deeply, and I see a lot of people quoting this passage uh, to talk about, well, look how you know my baby was wonderfully uh, made. Psalm 139, um, it says, For you formed my inward parts, including what? My brain. You wove me in my mother's womb, and I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was, well, was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written. Um, in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when yet there was not one of them. Why would you think that this verse doesn't apply to those with neurodevelopment issues? Right? Thus, wonderfully made only apply to typical children. No, it applies to all children. They're all made in God's image, and they were all fashioned by him. Now, I do not want to, to diminish the challenges that is for parents, and that many times they, they, you know, they prayed um, that that burden could be lifted up from them. Um, but yet, if we look to the blessings, you know, and that's the second point here, God's gifts every human with strengths and weaknesses. So though our physical bodies might impose certain limitations to us, the brain cannot make a person sin or keeping a person from following Jesus in faith and obedience. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.16 says that even when the outer man is being, um, is aging or decaying or whatever is happening, right? I, I see like autism and then uh, dementia as the other extreme where the brain is, regressing. Um, each person's abilities, brains, and strengths are unique and worth careful study. So even though our physical bodies might impose limitations, God does give people his strengths as well. This common sense principle is assumed in scripture. So for example, when God says work, he doesn't say everyone must produce two tenths daily. Um, no, he simply implores us uh, to work unto the Lord. Well, he doesn't say how much your productivity should be. Um, I like the parables in Matthew 25, 14 to uh, 30, uh, the, of the workers of the mines, like the Lord gives the mines to them, but he gives to each according to their own ability. He doesn't give 10 talents for someone with one, you know, with the ability to handle one talent. He doesn't give... Uh, one talent with someone with the ability of 10 talents. So God has given us strengths and weaknesses, areas that we can serve him. So although we never minimize or excuse sinful behavior, we treat people with one talent as though they have one talent and those who have five as those who have five. We treat people according to their abilities. Um, we shouldn't expect an educated child to talk like an educated adult. Right, in a mentally gifted child differently than the one who has an atypical neurodevelopment. But even those who have more notable weaknesses, it is important to highlight the strengths of autistic persons on this end of the spectrum. Can you think of some positives that might be a result of having a heightened awareness of five senses? Uh, where can these strengths not just be accepted with signs of uh, compassion and shrugs of indifference, but treasured as the gifts given to the, these persons from an all-powerful, infinite God. Mark Shaw recounts the story of a very pleasant greeter 
that he met at his local grocery store. So he saw, you know, some signs in the way that this guy talked that he was on the autism spectrum and said, as he encountered him week after week, the thought crossed his mind that perhaps that man was strategically being employed as a deterrent to shoplifting and crime at the door. Shot recounts, he repeated things that he heard and appeared not to be looking at you when you greeted you, when he greeted you. So he wasn't looking straight, but he was very aware of what was happening in, in the store. But he seemed not be, um, be aware of every detail around him, how wise the store owner was to hire that young man. Another major noted a strength is the execution of tasks with great skill and excellent attention in detail. Some autistic persons have a mastery of languages or math. Uh, words and numbers have great meanings at times. Um, Laura Hendrickson, Dr. Laura Hendrickson, that is now with the Lord, she has also a, an autistic child. And she made a comment once, you know, just look at Silicon Valley. It's like the paradise for autistic children. They, you know, they're highly skilled in, in math and all those things. Some of them, you know, some have other strengths. There are even more strengths that can be listed here. Therefore, one of the major concerns with the label of autism as a disorder is how stigmatizing and devaluing that label can be for a group of people who are made in the image of God, just as all we are. We're a much better society because of autistic persons who live among us, and I am grateful for each of them. Focusing primarily on the weaknesses as these diagnostic lists and descriptions do at times seems unfair when the strengths are ignored. I put those little chart in there because it, it is pretty amazing. Some kids will have you know, unique abilities. It could be music, it could be whatever. Um, and so this little, um, these two kids are talking. Why do you do that? Do what? Rock back and forth and make those hand movements. And he says, well, people like me do this kind of, of thing is stimulating, right? As, as a way of them soothing. Um, and then it says, people like, what? Oh, I see. So rocking to the rhythms of life, you might say. <laughs> so they enjoy, you know, uh, the, the life the Lord has given them. Um, if we focus on, um, we can help them to focus on their strengths. And then letter D here, it says, God is still, God's word, maybe I forgot to add the word there. Uh, God's word is still sufficient for training them in the way of righteousness. I think that's just like, duh, of course it is. <laughs> the Bible is sufficient. Second um, Timothy 3, 16 to 17, the word of God is um, inspired, right? and it's profitable for teaching, correcting. And so the word of God is still um, helpful. Now, um, the way that we learn um, and Dr. Laura Hendrickson really pushes this on her book that I reference here in Proverbs 22, 6. Um, quite a controversial verse here. Some people misapply this verse. It's like, oh, this is a promise. Proverbs 22, 6. What does it say? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Um, you, just people say, well, if you, if you teach the Bible to your children, if you train them, you know, they'll never depart from the Lord. And then there's a lot of frustrated parents who are like, well, when my kids went to college, they totally departed from the faith, and their, you know, God's word doesn't hold true. Well, this, I have to remember that Proverbs is not a, a book of promises. It's, it's a book of statements. It's like snippets of, of, of someone's life, you know, yes. It's a general truth, but it's not a, a truth that applies at every time at all to all people. Um, Dr. Laura Hendrickson see this. In, in a Hebrew text, I can understand why you can see that. You know, you train your child in the way that they learn, in his way. Um, a typical child will have the you know, way of a typical child learns. And in a typical neurodevelopment on a typical child have her way of learning. Um, and so I don't know if this is the, you know, I think this is a general truth, period. You know, we know that 
even for the typical children, they learn different ways. Some are more um, tactile, some are more visual. Um, I, I learn taking notes and, and articulating and doing things. My wife is the opposite. She, if there's too much distraction, she can't learn that way. Uh, so it, it's a different, the beauty of the differences that we do have when we are learning. So I think that is a general truth. And then this verse also could be seen as a warning. It's that you let a, guy, a child to go in their own way and, and they'll just remain there. Um, and, and the clue for that is verse 15. It says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child and the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. So we're all born sinners, including the autistic kids. Now, the, you imagine the combination of, you know, of a, a, a typical brain with uh, the sinful nature. You know, it will need also um, the training up in the scriptures and training up in, in righteousness in need of salvation. There is one lecture that I want to encourage you to listen, and they're available for free. So the links are down there by Steve Byers. And he gives a little bit of testimony of his own experience with a special needs child. Um, beautiful, the testimony of his, of his kid's um, baptism. It was just amazing. Um, all right, let me see here. Letter D, acknowledging the challenges leads one to seek the Lord's strength. Um, and I think this is particularly important when helping family members. You know, um, uh, Paul had that one thorn in his flesh, right? A physical limitation that the Lord used to humble him. And he prayed three times to be removed from him. And yet the Lord said, you know, my strength is made perfect in weaknesses. So Isaiah chapter 40, uh, 29, I think um, it's a helpful reminder for parents that are, that they'll be tired sometimes. You know, it, it requires more care. And Isaiah 40, someone can read that one for us, verse 29 and 31. Thank you, Aaron. So the Lord does provide strength, right, for um, those of us in need. And then um, the last point there I make is seeking medical help should be encouraged. Um, I don't think it should be a shame for parents to seek help on this. And um, I quote Matthew 9, 12, and Luke 5, 31, that Jesus was talking about those who are um, healthy don't need a doctor. And he's implying, you know, those that are ill, <laughs> they have some sort of, of impairment, they need a doctor. They need treatment. So if you understand autism as a symptom of other medical conditions, it is clear that physicians and other health professionals play an important role in dealing with brain activities that could be developed. Physical therapists, speech therapists could provide great help for children with communication and motor skills challenges. Um, and I didn't quote here, but normally there is so much associated. When people, when kids have autism, they have other also other health conditions, gastrointestinal problems, um, you know, their skin is weak, their lungs is weak, so there's just a lot of different things that might be um, worth looking at with a doctor. In the last three points, there are two articles that I, I quote here. One of them is by Mark Shaw. It's counseling someone labeled um, autistic, and then how do we help families um, with autism? If you have a pressing question, <laughs> um, let's save it until the end. Um, I think I'd rather cover this and then we can discuss it because I don't want to leave just a little tiny bit for next week and then we'll start a new topic. So um, how do you help someone? How do you counsel someone labeled autistic? Well, we interact with them as Christ would have us with love. Galatians 6.10 um, says here that we, we ought to help, is this the one? To help everyone, but especially those of the family of faith. 
610. So then, why you have an have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those who are in the household of faith. Especially for those that are with us in our church, we should care for. Mokshaw, again, uh, provides a beautiful testimony of another young man in the spectrum who he is counseling. He said, and this is, I'm just going to read his testimony. He said, I look forward to my meetings with him because he usually did his homework, was actively reading the scriptures, and genuinely listening to my counsel to the best of his ability. And I learned so much from him. He knew something was not quite right about him, but that was not the focus of our counseling. We focused on what we could do. he could do. His abilities far outweighed his inabilities. He was a believer with a clear testimony and understanding of the gospel who had an evangelistic heart. And I, you know, even in our family, we have uh, one autistic child that has um, just this evangelistic heart um, and, and a heart for praying. He's always asking, oh, how's your sister? Has she come to Christ yet? I'll keep praying for her. I just think it's just so beautiful. Often he would share, back to Mark Shaw's here, testimony, he says, often he would share the love of Christ as best as he could with others around him at school, church, and places like a grocery store. I found that our focus, um, that our focus on his relationship with Christ and his interactions with others led to opportunities for me to help him in his areas of struggles like bitterness and anger. While our counseling encounters never resulted and in any earth-shattering breakthroughs, there was consistent and significant progress that was made over a long period of time. Then he discovered that 30 minutes with him each week was sufficient. He did not want to be treated like a victim. He did not want it to be looked down upon. He did not want a label. So he says, Dr. Mark Shaw, I never used the label autism with him in counseling session, never. He did not want to be viewed as different, as though he was missing something very valuable in life. On occasion, he would preach at his youth group in a small church on Sunday nights and serve others in ways aligned with his abilities. He taught me many, many lessons, and he touched the lives of many others in a meaningful way. There were many times that this, his great progress would cause me to desire that other of my counselors would be more like him. End of quote. Um, second thing to be um, thinking about when counseling someone with autism is be aware of misunderstandings <laughs> because they take things very literally or they might not make the connections that you hope them to make. So since most biblical counselors will work with um, what this um, article has called highly skilled rather than the severely challenged autistic persons, and, and this is not label created by me is the description of the, um, the, from the DSM. I want to encourage biblical counselors to become more aware of the potential loneliness, anxious moments, sadness, and other attending issues to those labeled with autism. Biblical counselors must be sensitive to two dynamics an autistic person has to deal with. Being misunderstood, um, you know, just the blank stare in their face or their reaction. I remember in the documentary, we'll see there is um, this uh, man that he's a, pro a college professor, and he, I think he didn't realize that he had autism until later in age. He's married, and his wife is looking at him, crying, you know, sobbing, tearing up. And she looks at him and says, like, I am crying. And he didn't make the connection, so she touched her face and, you know, felt the tears. And, and he didn't have a reaction to that. And so he said, well, I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't notice that. But she's been in the kitchen for a long time crying, and he was just there and didn't do a thing. Well, is the perception. Somewhat, somehow the connection is not made. So we should be aware of those dynamics, of them being misunderstood or misunderstanding others. And here's a, a mild example. Imagine how discouraging it would be to be misunderstood by others when you make a statement that you meant in all seriousness, but the crowd of people burst into laughter thinking that you're making a joke. You're not even sure why they're laughing. No one enjoys being misunderstood, including those with a, a labeled autistic. The other challenge is for an autistic person is misunderstanding what someone really means. 
One autistic person that counseled, he says here, I hate when I'm, I misunderstand something someone says. Self-condemning thoughts and wrong beliefs like, oh, I'm so stupid, um, are the types of things that biblical counselors can address by having an open learning spirit, treating the person with dignity and offering compassion and counsel and grace. Many times, you know, I like using illustrations uh, when I'm counseling. And uh, with autistic people, it, it's hard when you use illustration, they get caught up on that. And it, it's just, you know, they pursued that to death. I'm like, well, forget that. Let's just move on to the next thing here. And, and you know, this is the principle. Stated black and white, no need to, uh, to augment this. Um, so the overriding problem of being misunderstood and misunderstanding others is that often the autistic person cannot clearly identify where the communication error occurred. They might not even realize there was a, a miscommunication at all. They don't even know if it, it, there was misunderstanding. So it's something to be aware. Then gentle correction and exuberant praise. So the next three points here I got from Dr. Laura Hendrickson, who you know had um, her son Eric, who was you know on the um, very low end of I don't know if I can use that uh, of a atypical autistic kid, you know, they, he wasn't nonverbal, I think, until four years old, a lot of self-destructive habits, and, and, to, and today, um, he, some doctors, I don't think it wouldn't put him in the autistic spectrum anymore because of um, the early diagnosis and treatments that she got. But, so she has a lot to teach in her book, one of them is gentle correction and exuberant praise. Encouraging words should be part of the vocabulary of every believer. Let's just take a look on a few Proverbs here. But this is particularly important with autistic kids. And we just recently studied in Ephesians 5, 20, uh, 29 to 30, right? Talked about our words being used to edify others, not to be destructive, to be fitting for the moment. Proverbs 15, 23. Um, whoever finds it can read it. 15, 23, and then you can keep track of the next ones there. Thank you. Um, verse 30 in the same chapter. And um, one of the major things is with autistic kids, because there's a miscommunication, there's already the self-awareness that there's something wrong and they're um, they can be overwhelmed with reproach. You know, if they, if they see the parents are angry and, and, and trying, you know, upset with them, that will highly frustrate them. Um, I think for all of us, there is a sense in which that we don't like the, the kind of, uh, of approach, right? Uh, 1624. And then 2511. Talking about timing. So um, having the right time to speak, if they are having a meltdown, and this is a very, this is actually a technical term for autistic people today. Everyone uses that terminology for <laughs> every kid. Um, but when they're having a meltdown, is not the, the right time to, to talk to them. Maybe, you know, put them in their room, let them calm down, and then you address them. Spectrum kids can be easily discouraged because they don't understand the world around them the, the way typical children do. Your child may also feel powerless because he can't be part of deciding what happens to him if he can't express himself effectively. And because so much of the behavior comes naturally to him is considered socially unacceptable, he hears the word no constantly. So please understand that I'm yeah, not telling here and this is Laura Hendrickson saying that you should never tell your child no, but sometimes it's necessary. It is the best to balance the negative with much positive. This teaches your child that he can fail sometimes without being a failure. And so actually something that was very helpful to me was, you know, encouraging them very much. When they do something wrong, just talking gently and, and saying, this is... This is not acceptable. We, we, we can't keep doing this. And the word of God says this, and, you know, calm, gentle instruction. And when they do something right, that you can encourage them to say, wow, look at, you know, 
how wonderful what the Lord has done in your life or um, very encouraging. And I found that to be very helpful because they're always thinking, well, I'm a failure, I'm a failure. Like, no, look, <laughs> the Lord can help you um, to grow. Then um, second point here that Dr. Laura Henderson brings is the gentle pressure to learn. And, you know, some of these principles, I feel like this is for every child, really. I don't think it's necessarily just the typical children. It's often said about typical children that you don't have to teach them to explore their world. They do it naturally. Not so with the spectrum kids, because they might find um, even a quiet environment overwhelming. They tend to withdraw and engage in activities that help them soothe themselves. Um, her son, Eric, he had this habit of eyebrow pulling, you know, and which doctors call self-stimulation or steaming, um, seem to help them to calm down, but his teams can take up all their energy and attention. So you have to chide that away so they can focus on something else. As a result, they might not be as aware of what's going on around them, so gentle pressure to engage in activities even when they're rather just esteem. You will increase your child's involvement with you and his ability to understand his world. Um, one of the major issues is that sometimes we just gave up too easy and, um, well, they'll just do whatever they want to do. Um, no, you know, we think about God, right? When he's working in our lives, um, sometimes he pushes us. He puts us in situations that are uncomfortable to make us learn something. And for an autistic child, they need the same kind of pressure sometimes. Uh, gentle pressure, not too much. And then firm limits and consistency. I think this one is <laughs> one of the most important principles because they're so black and white, limits actually are helpful. <laughs> and they don't like exceptions. You know, um, so being consistent, you have to repeat a rule many times. A limit is a rule that tells your child clearly that their behavior is unacceptable, and what will happen if he engages in it. Your child needs to firm, firm limits to help him learn self-control. Spectrum children who will not obey have more problems in school and learn much more slowly. Life at home will also be much less chaotic if your household has firm limits and your child knows what they are. Because your child is always trying to bring some sense out of um, the order, sense of order out of the chaos that he's experiencing. A predictable environment is very important to him. So if rules aren't enforced every time, and sometimes even if they are, he'll be confused. All kids like to know what's going to happen next, but a spectral child may not be able to recognize your household's unspoken schedule as readily as a typical child does. Because not knowing what's coming next makes them feel anxious, they prefer a rigid routine. In fact, if your family doesn't have a, a lot of rules, routines, or order, your child might even try to make her own rules to do that, to keep that order. All right, and then lastly here, how do we help families, family members um, in, in our church that might come that? Hmm? Yes, yeah, so this applies not only to kids, but as to adults as well. Um, so helping a family with autistic family members, hear their cries, you know, listen to the pain. Um, you know, we, it, those things are helpful that I said, you know, oh, God's sovereignty, they're wonderfully and beautifully made. Sometimes getting too quick to jump the gun on this Oh, Romans 8, 28, you know, God's going to work all things together for your good. Um, it's not helpful. It is not encouraging. Listen to them. It is a real struggle day in and day out. They sometimes they have to stay awake the whole night um, with a baby. So it is appropriate to acknowledge the pain and difficulty of living in a brokenness of this world. Families of autistic children face confusion, discouragement, as they endure day in and day out struggles. Um, lead them to the Psalms. Psalm 62, 8 says, Oh, people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge to us. Hebrews 4, 15, we have a high priest that sympathizes with our weaknesses. 
help them to yield to the sovereignty of God. Um, God is still king. He still reigns over the earth and everything in it. He's sovereign and he causes all things to work for his glory and our good, even autism. And he designed our children exactly the way he desired them to be for his purposes and to glorify his name in them. So a reference here to Steve Weyer's uh, talk that you can listen to. He has some helpful questions. You know, is there anything about the situation that is outside God's control? We know the answer is no. Could God have prevented this from happening to our child and to us if he had chosen to? Will God ever give us more than we can bear? Can God use the situation for his glory and our good? Has God promised to go with us as we try to raise our child with him, for him? And we will accept the responsibility and seek to joyfully submit to his plan for our family. So help sorrowing parents to turn to the Lord for strength and lead them toward yielding to and trusting God's good purposes. Help them to kindle affection for their child. It's a major struggle there, too. When families embrace God's unique plan for them, they can learn to enjoy the child for whom God made them up to be. If you listen to Steve Weyer's, um lecture that is linked there, you will find so, so, so much encouragement. He's talking about the joy of, of his son. You know, he's talked about, um, and he is very on the deep end, like he has a lot of health issues, um, they said every time I came from work, there was laughter in the home, you know, the, the joy that was with that. Um, encourage discernment about um, autism. In order to avoid unwise courses of action, it's important for families to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves in dealing with any potential false information they may receive from well-meaning people. You know, I, I hear this a lot. Oh, vaccines that's what causes autism and 20 years of medical research has not proved that just because at the time of the vaccination this is when things start manifesting themselves people have made the correlation but doesn't mean causation could it be that in the future that's going to come out and, and prove the vaccines have caused maybe but it's not our place to be trying to uh, make up those things or give advice to people. You know, what have worked for your child might not work for the other one. So be careful as, you know, when people give advice. And uh, Pam Gagnon is the doctor, and she, she says, this is how you could respond to, you know, someone to, to know the cause of the cure. Well, thank you for your concern. Uh, my husband or wife and I have a different opinion, and we have chosen a different option. But I appreciate you stating, you know, just... Realize that um, you can say no to people and their opinions. Get help for physical deficits, and the parents will benefit from engaging available resources to maximize strengths and minimize weaknesses. We don't need to walk this walk alone. We need help. Physical, you know, we need to see physicians, physical therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy to mitigate some of the physical deficits that might accompany autism and then the spiritual needs. Counselors can engage and encourage families to patiently stay the course in the biblical parenting. Obviously, it will be a parenting adapted to an autistic child, which is different, either verbal or nonverbal. So special education workers may also be helpful. Um, they can teach a lot. And what I noticed is that some of these biblical counselors that had had children with autism, they've learned a lot. And they, you know, applied what they learned. And because through a biblical framework, they can look at these things and how then we can apply this to my child with God's help. All right. We are just closing, but I am open for questions if you'd like to ask me. Um, or I can make a comment next week um, about this as well. But I, I want to make sure that finish this. All right, if you can be praying for me, um, as you know, that there's my ordination um, assessment, so six months that the elders are going to be probing me with many, many questions, and today is going to be our first one. 
Uh, so I'll be praying. The only thing that I have in my hands in my Bible to answer their questions. So that'll be a good way of you think if you think about that, be praying for it. All right, let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for uh, your grace and kindness toward us and for all your goodness that you have given us many, many things, Lord. You have made us in your image and you have given us gifts of children that are atypical in their neurodevelopment, yet you have given them strengths and you also use them to be a blessing to the body of Christ. I pray, Father, that will be loving, caring, and encouraging both to them and to their families as well. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.